We want people to feel comfortable in an environment. We want them to feel like they can be their, quote, authentic self. And I think that is wonderful. It's a wonderful platitude as someone who loves a great quote. It's wonderful. In practice, though, it gets complicated because I think you have to earn the right organizations do for people to feel like they can be, that they can make a choice about whether or not they want to be their authentic self. But you've got to earn that right. You can't just say to people, oh, just come be your authentic self. We want everybody to belong. Belong to what? You're listening to It Gets Late Early, a show about the experience of getting older in the tech industry. I'm your host, Maureen Wiley-Clough. Let's dive in. Welcome to It Gets Late Early. Today, I have a guest who I've actually had the pleasure of meeting in real life. I have Amelia Ransom, who is the VP of DEI at Smartsheet, another local company here in Seattle. She's been in the corporate world, I guess we'd say, for you know the past 30 plus years. And I'm just so thrilled that you're here because when I met you, Amelia, in person, like you were so captivating. <laughs> you absolutely were so incredible just on this panel that was a small panel hosted in Seattle. And I just knew that I had to get your perspective on what it's like getting older in the tech industry and all things DEIB. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Maureen. It was really lovely meeting you um, at that panel. There was such a great group of people and talking with you was absolutely one of my highlights. Oh, thank you. I'm touched. So thanks for being here. Um, I guess let's kick off a little bit by hearing a little bit more about your background and how you got into this mess to begin with. I got into DEI the way many people do by accident. It was not a goal necessarily when I was working. I there was an I was at a company and there was an opening in the DEI team and my leader came to me and said, "You should really like think about this job." And I said, "I'm really happy with my job. Like I'm not really interested in that." And she says, "Well, the leader of that group is going to call you. And he was a VP of our entire region at the time. So he calls and he's having this conversation and he's like, not understand, like I'm not matching his energy, right? (laughs) He's super energetic and I'm not matching his energy. And what I really appreciated about him is his name was Len. And he just said like, what gives kind of like what gives in this conversation? And I was like, look, I think you're looking for somebody to do some kumbaya stuff and (laughs) like say a bunch of stuff and just, And that's not really who I am. He's like, well, tell me who you are. And I said, we're at a crossroads here in terms of DEI. The company is headquartered in the West. We are sitting here in the South. This is a different place. And I don't think we're meeting the moment. And as someone from the West Coast, I don't think we're meeting the moment of what this organization can be in this particular region. And so we, I stated a few things and he was like, great. See you Monday. <laughs> I was like, did I just take a job? <laughs> like at what, what point? <laughs> at what point did I just take a job? <laughs> so yeah, that's how it happened. And uh, that was around the time that the Supreme court had come out with a, with the ruling on federal sexual harassment uh, standards, right? There had been a case that had come before the Supreme court. And because of that, we had all these new regulations that had come out and, I said, I think I should start here. There was a double trunk uh, story in the New York Times about it where they listed all of the new laws, regulations and things. And I was like, well, 
I'm starting here. And that's how I got my start in DEI. And that was a year that starts with a one. Okay. <laughs> Just, <laughs> well, we, we don't have to go back through all of that, but it was a year that starts with a one. That's all I want to say about it. A lot has happened since then. And you, you are, as I think you told me, you're a member of a certain generation and one. I'm a about proud Gen Xer. Love it. Love I'm it. I'm a very proud Gen Xer. My, my generation is tiny. <laughs> We're tiny, but mighty. There's not right. We're sort of buttressed on either side by boomers and millennials. And we are still here and we are still making an impact and a difference. Shout out to all my Gen Xers out there. Love it. I'm I'm a big fan of Gen X. Actually, I think there's something fantastic about each and every generation, actually. There, is. there really is. There really is. So tell me a little bit about what you see in the landscape of DEI right now. And also, I'm very, very curious, what's the B all about? That seems to be pretty new on the scene. Yes. So DEI has been around in many iterations for some time, right? It was called diversity. It might have been called personnel at some time before HR was personnel, DEI was sometimes called personnel. We've had many names, many iterations. DEI is, um, of course, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sorry for all of those who are not <laughs> We love with the, with acronyms. The, we know the good acronym. <laughs> and we love to like not explain an acronym and yeah, pretend like everybody knows, should know what it you're is. You're so right, which is not inclusive of us, is it? Not very inclusive of us at all. And I am... Uh, I'm good at forgetting to explain the acronym. <laughs> so too. diversity, equity, and inclusion, and each one of those is important, right? Diversity is important because about it's about really having the difference and appreciating the difference and leveraging the difference, right? So I've often said, you can't call yourself a chef if you can only make one dish. So you're just a good cook and maybe you make that one dish really well. But a chef is something different. A chef has a diversity of recipes in their arsenal. And so that's why the diversity is important, right? As we bring different kinds of people together, in this case, in teams and in workspaces, how are we going to be together? Each of us is different and has maybe different needs or different expectations of a workforce. And how do we address that internally? Equity often gets conflated with equality. And so people often think equity is about giving everyone the same thing. But in point of fact, no company does that. Nobody <laughs> gives everybody the same thing. If I were to come to somebody's company who's listening to this podcast and I would say, everyone show me your laptops. I bet you there are two or three different brands of laptops that people use. Designers might like a MacBook. The finance folks want a, a PC. The other folks, like you have different needs so you get the tool that works best for you. So we're already practicing equity, but sometimes when it comes to people, that starts to break down. Well, I can't give Maureen something that I'm not giving to Amelia, but you do every day. <laughs> you, this is something we do every day. And so we are really about what does it take for this person or set of people or, or a type of role to be successful organizationally. That's how we think about equity, not about the same thing, but about giving people what they need or ensuring they have what they need. And the inclusion piece, I think of, you know, Verna Myers has said, you know, diversity is like being asked to dance or asked to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. And I think that's a great way of starting to frame that. Like, how do you feel like this is um, a place 
that you can really influence. It's different. It's like if you have holiday dinner, whatever holiday you celebrate, you have holiday dinner and you have people who've been to your home before, they act different than the person who's been coming to your home for the first time, right? The person who's been to your home before might go in the refrigerator and get something they want to drink. They might just plop down on your sofa. The person who's there for the first time will sort of stand there awkwardly like, do you, do you use these towels in the bathroom or do you just have them here or do I like, and they won't really get comfortable enough to make a difference and impact the group and the setting around them because they're so focused on all of the ways that they might, you know, call attention to themselves that they don't really want to do. So so that's the inclusion piece. I like to just use different, as we go through this conversation, like I love an analogy, a simile, a (laughs) metaphor and an allegory. So I, I tend to frame things that way because I think it makes it more accessible to people. Now, the B that you're talking about, the belonging, listen, I have a complicated relationship with the belonging. I want people, I think what we usually mean by this is we want people to feel comfortable in an environment. We want them to feel like they can be their quote, authentic self. And I think that is wonderful. It's a wonderful platitude as someone who loves a great quote. It's wonderful. In practice, though, it gets complicated because I think you have to earn the right organizations do for people to feel like they can be, that they can make a choice about whether or not they want to be their authentic self. But you've got to earn that right. You can't just say to people, Oh, just come be your authentic self. We want everybody to belong. Belong to what? <laughs> Why? You know, as we say in community, who's all going to be there? Like, <laughs> what will it look like when we belong? Paint me a picture and show me why I want to belong. For what purpose? And what parts of me need to be there? Because being your authentic self at work is a choice you should make but it is also something that should be earned by your organization. So that's why I say I have the complicated relationship with belonging. I understand what we think we're saying, but I think in point of fact, particularly to underrepresented groups, it can mean something different and it can be gaslighting if we're not careful. Wow. So much to unpack there. And I think there, there's so much code switching that comes into play in the workplace, right? Um, which is why I think it's kind of a, a concept that's fraught with peril, the idea of bringing your authentic self to work. It's like, mm-hmm. it's really not safe for everybody, right? Um, Absolutely. And some people just don't want to. Yes. It's the same way if you, I was going to say women, but I think this applies to any gender. But if you've been walking down the street and have someone tell you to smile. <laughs> oh God, yes, I have. It's terrible. Okay. And you're like, Why? Do I need to do that? For what purpose? To make them comfortable? What if I don't want to smile today? What if I'm genuinely upset about something, but but smiling makes you feel better, but doesn't do anything for me? And what gives you the right to tell me what to do to begin with? Right? What? So that's a part of me that maybe I don't choose to bring you. And that's okay. So I want people to know being your authentic self, whoever that is, is a choice you should make situationally. If you don't want to be your authentic self, uh, my husband would tell you that when he was working in industry, he would say, they didn't deserve all of me. 
I wasn't going to give them all of me because my hopes and dreams and aspirations belonged to my family. They didn't belong to them. That was his way of doing that. Some people show up and they want to be all in at work. They want to be all in with their colleagues. They want to, and that's a fine choice as well, but it is indeed a choice. It is. And it's not a prerequisite of being a dutiful, productive employee, right? You can, you can check all that personal stuff at the door if you want and just do the job. And that should be okay too, right? Like that's a choice. You absolutely can. And a lot of people do. And it's funny. I, I, I think it probably depends on the organization, like how much that serves you, right? Like the, the being yourself and having this sort of more vocal opinion and whatnot. It, it probably really depends on, frankly, who you are a lot of the times. Like I, I can tell and you who your organization is. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Hey, quick break here. If you or anyone you know are looking for a new tech job and you're aiming for a company that understands the value of experienced workers, sign up for our email list where we'll send you jobs from companies that we hand select as a fit for tech employees over 40. Go to itgetslateearly.com and add your email. Now back to the show. And do you look like the status quo leader, right? Which which brings me to another thing I want to ask you about, which is, you know, I think there are a lot of organizations out there, I've been a part of some of them, that say publicly, oh, we really care about diversity, equity, inclusion, and now belonging. And I thought to myself, well, that's, that's those are nice words. I, I can get behind those words. That sounds great. But when I look at your leadership, when I look up the corporate ladder, I see one race and one gender with almost exclusive <laughs> representation. And I'm like, that's cool. You like people down the rung that look different and you might have more diversity down there. But to me, it's kind of a red flag when I don't see it up at the top of the organization. So I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, what does it take to actually build a truly inclusive culture and what are the the sort of the steps that people can take to get there? And does it matter that the top of the organization actually has diverse representation or not? Yes, it matters. There is a couple of quotes that come to mind. One is truth should be factual, not ideological, right? So the ideology is that you're saying, right, is we value this, but the fact of it is where, right? When I don't see it where. Now, I want to see it, but I also want to experience it. So if you have a set of people who you think, now, to be clear, all of us bring a diverse perspective, right? Every one of us is different and brings a diverse perspective. So you've got to think about who you are trying to be. So typically when I see pictures like that, and then I go to a website and I say, well, let's see what their goals and aspirations are, right? And they'll generally tell me something about global about the world, about the world around us and how we're going to impact the world around us. Like this is a common thing to see as someone's goals, some wording like that. And I think, well, how will we impact the world because the world doesn't look like this, right? The world looks different than that and the world operates differently. Now, that isn't to say that you should only have the diversity where you see the photos, because then I get worried about performance, 
right? So if I see it in your photos and in your stock photos and wherever it is, that's great. I want to see it, but I want to understand how to navigate that. And I also am clear that I can't see all diversity, right? You may have diversity of disability. You may have LGBTQ diversity. You may have lots of other diversities that I can't see visually. So I do also want to recognize that even though a set of people may look the same, there may be components of diversity there that we can't appreciate in a two-dimensional format. Great call. But I, right, but I do want to understand how you are bringing that together via your leadership. And if you have a focus there, how is it getting actualized organizationally? I love that. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I'm thinking through those pictures that you speak of, right? Whether they're stock photos or actual employees and whatnot. And and one thing, and, and I know when we were at that panel, by the way, that this this came up. Um, the panel had a couple different representatives from different tech companies, and they will go unnamed. But it was almost comical to me because there was an overt discussion around how actively they're trying to court new employees who are of the Gen Z and millennial generations. That was just on the table. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that's very interesting. And nowhere was the representation discussed about Gen X, boomers, and so on, right? That was just not a part of the equation. And so often when you look at those websites too, you don't see a single person over 35 when it comes Mm -hmm. to a tech company. So I just wanted to call that out and talk to you a little bit about the fact that at present, the the stat that I found was that 92% of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs actually neglect to include age. Why do you think that is? I think there are things that we think about as generational that are not necessarily generational and things that that might be what I would call situational, right? But we've ascribed them to generations. So I can remember being in college as a Gen Xer and being told like, you're never going to grow up and you're not going to take things seriously and blah, blah, blah. And there was even a Time Magazine article with all the things that Gen X was doing, right? We were saying things like roadie to the max and that's gnarly. And for whatever <laughs> reason, that meant we were never going to grow Unserious, up, right? right. We were so unserious, <laughs> we were absolutely so unserious. And they have said that subsequently about almost every generation. Absolutely so, true. Right? <laughs> yes. So we think of these things as generational that I think are situational and we misunderstand one another generationally. So I've had folks say, Oh, these millennials, they think they're going to come in and be CEO as soon as they graduate college and blah, blah, blah. And I worked for a company that at the time had a high millennial population um, because it, the company skewed younger. And I thought to myself, I haven't yet met one person in this company who says that to me. Mm. Not one. And I worked with a lot of, they were, the millennials at that time were younger. Right. So they mm-hmm. were the ones graduating college and coming into the workforce. And so this is what was being said about them. And I thought that I just have never found that to be true. That is situational. That is a previous generation being pushed in a way and moved forward in a way by the new generation coming in that has happened generation over generation over mm-hmm. generation. That is situational. Kids these days kind of thing, kids right? these days. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So why don't we focus on it? Because we're not sure exactly what we're focusing on. We think we're focusing generationally, but we really should be focusing situationally. Mm, I love that. And bringing that in. Now, is there a place for age and DEI? Absolutely. 100%. Because people are focused on different things. 
So if you talk to someone who's earlier in career than me, they may have a focus in their career of grow, 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 grow. How am I getting to the next thing? How am I getting to the next thing? Someone like me who may be similarly situated to me is not necessarily going on that same path, right? The growth may be, hmm, I'm good. I'm good here. Or I know the things that I want to do. I'm being far more, I'm curating a little bit more the experiences that I'm having. I'm choosing roles differently than I did when I was, right? So that may be a way to show up differently there. But I think we, we missed the mark because we're doing the situational generational thing. Is there room to talk about how the generations are different? Yes. They're more alike than they are different. Don't tell anybody. You are so right. So I think rather than, I guess I would say it this way. Do I think about age in the workforce? Yes. I think about what people need at different ages in the workforce rather than think about it generationally, right? I think about the offerings that we might need for interns and folks that are new in career versus the folks that are more seasoned in career um, or older, then I think about that. I, I need different caregiving things yes. than someone who may be starting a family, but I still need caregiving and I can still get that, right? We have a, we had a, a relationship with care.com when I was looking for caregivers for my dad as he was aging, I could still access that even though it wasn't child care. Right. Yes. Right? So I need something different and I can get that if I have an offering that meets me where I am. Yes. I mean, so much yes to that. I can't even describe how much joy I hear. (laughs) I have, rather, how much joy I have hearing you say all that, because it's really about meeting the individual where he, she, they are, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, wherever you are in your professional journey, there should be something. And let me tell you, what's sexy to me as an offering is a little different than it used to be, right? Like your after work happy hour beer on tap is a little less exciting to me than like a childcare stipend or, you know, a retirement plan. That's just the reality. But you should offer all of the above if you care about having a high performing workforce, right? Because Mm -hmm. better teams, uh, you know, more diverse teams produce better outcomes. That's just like a business fact. So I think- I love how you frame that up. That's really awesome. And and speaking of doing things well, I understand that Smartsheet recently received accolades for actually hitting the mark on DEIB. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's the um, Human Rights Campaign Corporate Equality Index. So we recently got 100%. It was our first time completing the survey. And we're really excited to get 100%. And if my voice doesn't sound like I'm really excited, it, that's wrong. I really am excited. <laughs> But I, but where I am a little bit of two minds about the external accolade is it can feel like you're done. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred percent is the best. There's nothing else to do. Put that <laughs> on the back burner and keep it moving. And I think that is the wrong approach to culture. The reason, in my professional opinion, to complete a survey is to allow yourself to be calibrated by external standards so you can understand what is happening in the the area. We can all get a little bit of hyper-focus of what's happening inside our companies and sometimes not lift up to understand what's happening around us and where we might be missing the mark. So I think they're really good for that purpose. Where they can be challenging is if you didn't get 100%, there are companies out there that completed this survey that didn't get 100%. Maybe they got 85, maybe they got 95. Keep going. 
there is, I said it in my LinkedIn post, there's literally an employee who's depending on you Mm. to keep going and keep trying, right? To keep working on your culture, to keep ensuring that your culture is as inclusive as it can possibly be, to keep challenging yourself to think about it in new and different ways. And so I don't want any company that got 100%, including my own, to think, yep, nailed it, next. <laughs> Done. Cross or that a off. Company, right? Yeah. Or a company that didn't get it to feel so discouraged that they don't feel like they should that they should keep going and keep trying right. to be better. Right. You're right. Because, I mean, progress, forward progress, even if it's not 100%, is still progress. And we can celebrate that. Yes. We say at SmartSheet regularly, we work in progress. Right. We want to continue to get better. And so I still, even though we got that, I want us to continue to think about ways to be better. I love that. Are you looking for a job at tech companies backed by private equity? If you're anything like many people I know, that answer is a definite no. And in fact, you actually dread the possibility your company might get acquired by private equity. But guess what? The whole exception proves the rule thing that's true. Cross-section is that exception. A new PE firm and boutique consultancy that's built by actual operators from the tech industry, as in they know how to do the work and can help founders get the capital and guidance they need to go to the next level. They also understand the value of experience, and so do the leaders at their portfolio companies. Sign up at itgetslateearly.com to apply to cross-sections portfolio companies and other hand-selected opportunities for workers of any age. Back to the show. And speaking of which, that was one of the things that you brought to mind. Earlier, you said, hey, I love an allegory, a metaphor, a story. And you did that so beautifully when I first met you. You had this fantastic story that you told about how people can actually do DEIB right. So I'd love for you to share that today. Yes. So that is um, the framework that I use. I just want to shout out the person that put it on paper for me, my friend, Jen Bingaman, who put it on paper for me. But it is the framework of how you think about talent. So often when companies think about diversifying, they say we need or we want more diversity in our company. They first start with hiring. Mm. That is generally the arm that they want to pull. They want to go to hiring. And I professionally think that is the wrong place to start. So I think you just think about your culture. So the framework that I use is called the garden, the grocery store, and the restaurant. So if you think about hiring is the restaurant, right? So when you go out to a restaurant, you place your order, and with very little modifications or effort on your part, you receive your dish. And maybe your dish isn't perfect. Maybe you think to yourself, oh, I don't eat red onions, and so I got to pick those <laughs> off. But it still was really good. That's hiring generally. Hmm. You put up a post. Your recruiting team works their magic because they're all magical. They bring you back a person and you're like, great, thanks, check. But we can't sustain ourselves by eating at a restaurant all the time. I mean, I, that, I think, yeah, that's that's fair. Right? Like, I mean, we wouldn't do don't well. get me wrong. <laughs> I like food, but uh, yeah, prepared by someone else I, always tastes better. But <laughs> always tastes better. We're kind of However, missing the mark. <laughs> yes, but most of us who aren't like, Beyonce have to make <laughs> our own meals at some point, right? Yeah. And so you have to learn how to cook or else you're always dependent upon what the restaurant is serving. Yes. And dependent upon that working for you. So if you can cook, if you can develop people, if you can up-level people, if you can skill up people, if you can give them the experiences and career that help both them and your business be better, 
It's fantastic. My father, I would say to my dad sometimes, oh, you know, I don't have food. We're going to have to go out. I don't have any groceries. And he would open up my pantries and my refrigerator and freezer and make a five-star meal. That's awesome. And I would think to myself, I had this all the time, (laughs) but I didn't know what to do with it. Right. That's true leadership, right? Mm -hmm. That's the way if I go back to the thing I said earlier, like you can't tell me a chef if you can only make one dish. (laughs) You really can't. You're not going to convince me. This is that. We need leaders as chefs and curators of talent, of developers. And so we need to spend far more time in our culture, developing our culture, developing our people. And then we can focus on the garden, which as you might imagine is long-term planning, right? It gives you abundance where we don't have to say, oh, you know what? Maureen is the most talented woman in X field. And so everybody's jockeying for her. Why don't we just have more Maureens? (laughs) Why don't we just plant those? And so why don't we figure out the ways to keep girls interested in STEM past elementary school when they tend to get socialized out of it? And sometimes by the time they come back to it, it's too late to have that career as an engineer or a physician, because you've missed some of the critical steps that you need to take to get there. That's the model. And so when organizations tell me that they want to be more diverse, I say, start with culture. Don't start with hiring, start with culture. I love that. And I feel personally that the in, the emphasis really needs to shift to the garden, right? Because so many yes. leaders will say, I can't find someone who will help me with X, Y, Z. And it's like, all right, well, what are you doing to help solve this problem of sourcing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And if we were focused more on the outcomes that the garden would produce and fostering you know, a, a better, inclusive, diverse environment by looking at this this problem, because it really all starts with what you're able, I mean, like, how far do we want to go with this analogy? But you know what I mean? Uh, like, uh, but, but the reality is, like, the system is one that's not helping us. And so we need to fix the system, right? And that's, that's how I think of it, at least perhaps yes, you agree. Because we are creating the system. The yeah. system is just mimicking what we tell it. Yeah. I, had, I was just in this great conversation about AI and someone asked a question about, oh, it's learning. And the expert said, it is not learning. It is mimicking. Mm-hmm. You really got to get like, percent. You've, the language here matters. And so mm-hmm. the example that you use when someone says a leader or manager, a hiring manager says, I can't find a blank person to do this job, whatever, woman, black person, whatever it is to do this role. I think to myself, well, tell me what you're looking for. Because so often leaders describe other people, not objective criteria. Yep. Even if they think they are describing objective criteria. So they may say, well, we've had really good success with people who come from X company. And I think, okay, well, can you distill that further? What do they know? What do they work on? What, how do they show up? And sometimes what I learn, not all the time, sometimes what I learn is, oh, that just makes the job easier for you. It doesn't make the job, it doesn't make them better at the job. It makes your job easier. So if I don't have to teach X, Y, Z, it's easier for me as a manager versus, oh, I'd be willing to show Amelia how to do these three things the way that we do them in this company. If she has the requisite background of, you know, financial tools or whatever the role is, right? 
So we've got to distill and pull apart those things as well to understand how we're trying to make it easier for us or make it better for the candidate and for the role and the job. That's a really good point. And I think we so often are centering things on our own experiences instead yes. of actually like working towards something for the betterment of others, right? And and so I think that's a really important call out. Um, so, you know, a lot has happened in DEIB over the last few years. And I'm I mean, still the the statistics that I'm able to pull are, are not exactly super rosy, <laughs> but um I, I wanted to know if you could leave us with some of your most hopeful bits about DEIB. What have you seen out there that gives you hope for the future? Um, you know, Maureen, I'm not super hopeful. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not super hopeful. I generally think I'm a hopeful person. Here's the challenge around DEI. If we're really being honest, DEI tends to experience a renaissance at the expense of life. So we tend to pay more attention to DEI when a tragedy occurs. I believe when a that. war happens, when the police are violating the rights of black people, when like name it. That's when, when I, women when the Me Too movement happens, totally right? True. We it, we experience this renaissance. The challenge with that is if you think about how we, you know, use, I use this regularly, but think about how we think about, you know, living a more fit or better lifestyle, like a healthier lifestyle. If you set a new year's resolution every year and you're like, by February, you have eight bags of potato chips like I do. <laughs> I'm the same way. Oh right. So I'm, I'm only hurting myself by mm -hmm. doing that. So if I only do these fits and starts, I don't have a sustained, healthier life. Mm -hmm. If we really want to embed and cement DEI into our organizations, then we cannot just go to the gym in January. We have to go to the gym in July. And so to all of those listening to this podcast who have heard me say that 300 times, know that it is still true. We are still showing up to the gym in January. And if you've ever been to the gym in January. You know Good what luck getting a like. machine. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Good Try luck, going yeah. right now. It's December. Try going right now. <laughs> right? Treadmill's just empty. <laughs> just so empty. True. So true. So that's the challenge. And so I am not heartened that we yet understand that we have to do this consistently in order to do it well that we cannot just shoot up something. You know, every now and again, the squirrels will plant corn plants in my front yard. They don't last long. You don't have to pull them up. They don't last long because they're not rooted. So they're going to fall over eventually anyway. And I often think about some companies' DEI efforts the same way. Someone brought it. They just planted it. They just left it there. It sprouted for a time and then with no rooting, no, no care, it just toppled over. Oh man. So that's why I, I would like to leave you more heartened than that. But until we understand that this, we are talking about structural inefficiencies that we have. We are not talking about bad people. No. We are talking about structural inefficiencies that we have 
that keep people from doing their best work and teams and companies from achieving their highest results. You can Google any data you want to, and it will tell you that diverse teams perform better. Like, I can't even make this up. Diverse teams perform better. This because isn't philanthropy, is, you know, it's like, it not, not. <laughs> it's not philanthropy. It is you achieving your goals. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me, how do I set DEI goals organizationally? I tell them all the time. I don't. Mm-hmm. I go back to our company goals and I map from there because if I go to anybody's website, I promise you I, would, I can do this on anybody's website. You have a goal organizationally that requires diversity for you to get there. Ding, ding, ding. A hundred percent. Underline that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is where we are. So that is the work I want to do. My job here is not to make the underrepresented folks, women, queer folks, people of color. Like my job is to not make them more palatable to the majority. My job is to help the majority understand and to amplify the voices of the people who are underrepresented and bring them to the table. I'm not here to make, you know, I'm a Black person. I'm not here to make Black folks more palatable to you. I'm here to make you more palatable to Black folks. This is it. So that's the twist that we have to make. That's the grounding that we need to do. I do see, don't get me wrong, do I see pockets of hope? I have to be a hopeful person or else I can't do this work. Yeah. I do not approach my work pessimistically. <laughs> but if you're saying like, oh, what are the things that you see that make you hopeful? Well, ma'am, listen, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's a, an altogether different question. Yeah. But I am hopeful. I had an opportunity. Um, I, I joined um, a community of people And they had just finished like doing some reading about race and that sort of thing. And one of the women said, I read all the things and I've experienced all the things. And I just, um, I I just don't have any hope. I don't have any hope for what we might do. And I remember being so angry with her and so angry with that statement because I thought as a woman, as an older woman now, as a black woman, I do not have the option to not be hopeful. I do not have it. And if you do not have it, please get out of my way. Oh God, yeah. Right? So I realize I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because you asked me like, well, these seem hopeful. And I was like, I'm not really that hopeful. I am a hopeful person, but I need to see more consistency from organizations in their commitment to improving their culture that thereby would improve their business in order to feel like I could give your listeners like, it's all getting better. <laughs> yeah. We have work. We collectively Lots have work. work to do. Lots Anyone of work. who's listening to this has a role to play in it's making true. this better. Everyone has a role to play. Very, very true. Very true. Man, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. <sighs> Well, I do know that there are a lot of people right now in the tech world who are looking for work. So one thing I think might be helpful would be, is there, in your estimation, sort of a a green flag versus red flag versus beige flag 
to look out for as a candidate? Is there, are there some things that you could potentially see? Because as we've pointed out, a lot of companies will, will talk the talk, but we don't know if they walk the walk. So if there's any sure. sort of guidance there, that'd be super helpful. I, I will tell you the first red flag I have is if a candidate is looking for the perfect company, <laughs> stop looking. They're not there. <laughs> they're not there. So every now and again, I'll meet um, people. They're usually not interviewing at my company, but I'll meet people who say I'm interviewing and, you know, they just don't have enough this and this company doesn't have enough that. I'm like, well, that might be your opportunity to help them. I love that reframe. Like no company is perfect. How are you going to show up in support of what they're trying to do? So that's a first red flag. A second red flag um, organizationally is if it just feels like it's two-dimensional, if people aren't, if the organization isn't trying to be better and they can't articulate for you how they're trying to be better, like, what have you tried? What did you put down that didn't work? What, do you, what did you pick up in pursuit of X and Y? That's what I'm looking for someone to tell me. I am not looking for someone to tell me, we figured out everything, we got it, we nailed it, we're good. We're golden. That would be perfect, but it doesn't exist. I am though looking for an organization to say, you know what? This is how we are working at getting better. This is what's worked. And so we're doubling down on that. We tried this thing, didn't work out so well for us. We put that down. We're going to keep trying these three things this year. And we're going to see, and we're going to measure how those work. And then we're going to tell our employees how they worked out. Then we're going to come back. Like that's yeah. what you're looking for. And that actually kind of mimics the way in which a lot of tech organizations claim that they are, right? Super iterative, fail fast, like learn from our data-driven, all that stuff, right? So yeah, I'd say flip it. Listen, but if somebody's breaking stuff just to break stuff, (laughs) red flag. (laughs) I agree. Because you're breaking it at the expense of people. Exactly. If you're willing to just break things at the expense of people, particularly underrepresented and marginalized oh, people, yeah. then that is a red flag. Like a, no, we don't go there. A hard mm. stop. Hard but stop. if you're saying in collaboration with these groups and communities, we are trying to move forward and we are seeking their input about how we are trying to move forward and we are doing that, like we're coming alongside each other to try something new, not just we made a decision over here. Right. And we just think it's good. That doesn't work. Right. That that doesn't work. I don't want you to break things at the expense of people that don't need to be broken at the expense of people, particularly people who outside of your walls experience that brokenness every day. Yes, absolutely. And I, I also, I feel like one other sort of red flag that I would see potentially would be if they have an employee resource group that's comprised only of like, you know, the ERGs that they have as a stopgap, like, oh, well, we have a women and allies ERG, or we have a people of color, we have an LGBTQ. It's like, that's, <laughs> you're putting the onus on them, and potentially asking them to do this heavy lifting for the rest right. of the organization. Like that, I don't know. That bothers me a little bit. I agree. I love our ERGs. We have seven of them and they help us and push us in ways, but they're also there to be a safe space and community for people. Like their only job is not to job us. Part of it is just about community and ways that they want to be in community together and ways that we can support them in community, realizing no one is a monolith, right? How can we support you in community as well? So our ERGs have budgets they can spend on things that make sense and matter to them. They all have executive sponsors. 
They all have like, we have structure around it. So again, I'm not calling it perfect, but I'm calling it progress in pursuit of betterment. That's, I guess, all we can hope for, for ourselves individually, collectively, societally, and at work. Like, yes, because just... you can't, because listen, you can't tell me, I, I find people sometimes, and again, this is like people in life. This is not necessarily people at Smartsheet, but I find people in life that tell me all the things that they want to see like DEI do and all the ways that they want it to be better. And I'm like, well, what, what, what do you do? <laughs> How do you show up around this at all? And they'll say things that they think that they're saying one thing, but they're really saying something else. My best mm-hmm. example of this is I was talking to um, a parent and she said, well, I want diversity in my child's school. And I said, that's great. Why? So I want my child to be exposed to different people and different backgrounds and all of that. And I said, I want to pause you because I'm not saying that's bad, but I think you think you said that you want equal education for all children. And that is not what you said. You said you wanted your child to be benefited and privileged by being surrounded with diversity, but not too much, not too much diversity. I can pick Hmm. around them which is a very different statement for I fight for equal education for all children because I realize what my child has, every child should have. So different. Those are very different things. And I'm not saying you even had to pick this other one. I'm just saying, I think you think you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they were talking about how important diversity in their child's school was, how important it was. And I, when I asked why, it was because their child would benefit. And I thought, well, what about the other children who are benefiting your child? As a Black person, what if my child, I'm not a parent, but what if my child was in your school? Am I benefiting you? Am I there to benefit you? Does my child get to access the same level of education that you want for your child? And will you fight for that also? So it's not always DEI in the walls, but I think we all have to have a look in the mirror at ourselves and say, how do we really show up around this? I talk to people regularly who tell me how passionate they are about DEI. I'm passionate about DEI. Red flag. Red flag. You're passionate about DEI? You're passionate about the wrong thing. I want to be passionate about the outcomes that DEI can bring us. But I'm not passionate about this work. I do this work because I think the work needs to be done. But let's make no mistakes. If I didn't have to do the work tomorrow, that would be fantastic. It would be great. It would be great. It would I be hope great. We can, hope we can get there. I hope society I will, can I, get there. And I do have hope. I, again, I wouldn't show up and do this every day if I didn't have hope that we could get there. But it is interesting to me when people tell me how passionate they are. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you do? Hmm. What, what do you you just passionate about it, but you don't do it. That's like me when I watch cooking shows. I don't cook, but I watch the cooking shows all the time. I don't make any of those things. I don't then get to call myself a chef. <laughs> I just oh watch goodness. cooking shows. Yeah, there's a difference. A, a British Bake Off? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not oh making goodness. a cake like that. No, no. 
Well, Amelia, this has been phenomenal, as I knew it would be. And as I told you before we actually hit go here, uh, maybe my new mission is to ensure that the world gets to hear more from you, because I think you too should have your own show. You're incredible. And, oh my God, uh, my coach is going to listen to this and she's going to hear you say that. Um, and so now she's going to put me to work. Just know Yes, that. yes. Mission accomplished. <laughs> That's, I'm hopeful about that. I would love to see you out there. I think you have a really powerful way with words and your stories are incredibly impactful. And I just feel like you've Thank delivered you. so many insights and, and allegories along the way. So I'm grateful to you for being here and for doing the work you do. I hope I hope you can get put out of a job, right? Because then we won't need <laughs> DEIB at work, right? Because yes. we just fixed it. But until then, thank it. you for what you're doing on behalf of everybody because it's going to make the world a better place and we all need to do our parts as well. And so thanks for delivering all those insights and ensuring that we think about these things in the right way so that we can get where we need to go. Thanks for having me today. This has really been fun. Truly fun. I can't believe like the time has gone by so fast. It sure has. Time flies when you're having fun, right? That's that's how it goes. So thank you for being here. And I hope to see you in Seattle soon. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks for joining us today at It Gets Late Early. I hope this episode was insightful and entertaining. Now, before you go, if you're old and work in tech, just like me, I have something really cool for you. We're putting together a job board specifically for seasoned tech workers, where we'll curate the best opportunities for experienced tech talent. If you want a place to look for work where you can trust there won't be so much bias in the hiring process, go to itgetsleteearly.com and sign up so you'll be the first to know when we launch it. Thanks and see you next time.